How do you define a successful life? If your answer can be summarized as earthly excellence and sacred significance, you're at the right place. Join host Stephanie Smith as she shares three keys unlocking a life of lasting purpose. Learn yourself, love God, and live connected. You'll become smarter about yourself, skilled in human dynamics, savvy about the Christian faith, and strengthened to pass this wisdom on to upcoming generations. And now let's get started. All right, my friends, we are back continuing our study in the Gospel of John chapter 9. Last week, we were introduced to the man who had been blind from birth, and we looked at the erroneous assumption and belief system that the disciples had, which really talked about how they saw not just people in life, but really how they saw God and how he works in people's lives. We also looked at the the key that it makes for us to be able to have healing in our lives, to be able to have correct and, and clear perspectives and mindsets, are we willing to be muddied in order for that clarity to take place in our lives? And then third, we looked at do we have the willingness to be obedient even when there is no promise attached to the instructions that we are given? Well, today we're going to pick up and we're going to continue with this fascinating story. This, this story is so rich, and so that's why we're going a little bit slow through this, because there's just so much packed into this story. And so this man encounters Jesus and the disciples, and we don't really know if he knew who Jesus was or, or anything, but Jesus um, puts mud, he mixes up dirt and saliva, and he makes this paste and he puts it on the man's eyes and says, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And the man does. Now, this man had been blind since birth. He was born blind. He goes and he washes and he comes back and he can now see for the very first time. What an amazing journey back to that spot he must have had, seeing for the first time this, this route that he clearly knew, and because Jesus wasn't going to send him off someplace when he didn't have any way to get there. And then he comes back to find Jesus. Who, who was this man that, that did this for me? Well, when he gets back, Jesus and the disciples are no longer there. Then what we read is the the neighbor, this man's neighbors, and those who had seen him before as, as a beggar, um, and, and so as a blind person, he was reduced very much to a life of poverty. And so as a beggar, these people who had seen him who knows how many times are like, wait, 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 it, is, is that the guy? Is that the blind guy? And it's fascinating that there were people who said, yes, that's him, but he can see now. What, what is up with that? But then there were other people that said, no, that looks a lot like him, but that, that can't be him. We don't want to skip over the significance of this. The people who couldn't recognize this was the very same blind man really were blind themselves. They had grown so accustomed to being able to see not this man, 
not him as a person or an individual. They saw a condition. All they knew of him was, oh, that's the blind man. And so all of a sudden, when the blind man is no longer blind and he's just the man who used to be a beggar here, they don't know what to do with that. That should be very sobering to us. We can become so accustomed to seeing someone in a certain way, in a certain perspective. We put a certain label on them, blind beggar man. That all of a sudden, when something challenges that label, we can't even see what's right in front of us. It's not like when this man was healed that all of a sudden he also grew six inches taller. It's not like he immediately gained 300 pounds. It's not like all of a sudden he grew a third arm or all of a sudden his hair color changed if he had hair. It's a matter that the only thing that changed about him was he went from being blind to being sighted. That's all that changed. And yet people who had known him for years as blind beggar man, all of a sudden, all they can see is man and and they can't even associate him with being that person that they thought they knew for all those years. We can become so attached to how we see another individual. And I'm not just talking here about physical sight, but I'm talking about how we perceive someone in terms of their character and their traits. That when they change, and when they change in a significant way, we don't even recognize it. We can't even acknowledge that change. Now, that can work both ways. So it can be a matter that we get so associated with a, a good trait in a person that we ignore the, the bad stuff that's there and, and we can't even see it when it's right there in front of us. The reverse can also happen, that we get so accustomed to the negative traits and characteristics that are in a person that when they do change, when there is healing that occurs in their life, that we can't even see it as that being the same person anymore because we've so associated them with certain behavioral traits. Now, this isn't about getting into a matter of how do you forgive and how do you reestablish trust when that's been broken. That, that's a whole other topic. What I want us to be able to see here is the importance that as we go throughout life that we see people as people, not conditions. If someone has a mental health or emotional health or physical issue, that does not become the primary way that we see them. And so often that's exactly what happens. And that's exactly what happened to some of the people that had surrounded this man. This man hears these people saying, yes, it's him. And no, it's not him. And so he speaks up and he says, yeah, it's, it's me. I'm the one that had been blind before. And, and he keeps trying to convince them. And they are so surprised, and this is such a shock to their system that something like this could happen, that this level of transformation that could happen, then they begin asking, okay, then how? Okay, we, we need an explanation. 
We need to know how you went from being blind to seeing literally within just a, a matter of minutes here. We've got to have an explanation. Now, to be fair, I think that was a legitimate question. Maybe they, maybe for some people who um, hadn't known this man for a long period of time, maybe they were feeling duped. Maybe they had contributed earlier that day to, to his charity fund, and all of a sudden they discover he's not really blind like we thought he was. Is, is this just a con artist? So I think there's some legitimacy in, in their asking that question. And so he says, there was a man called Jesus that made mud and anointed my eyes and said, go to Siloam and wash. And so he, he just tells them the simple truth. He tells them the story. So then they follow up with the second question. Okay, where is this man? Okay, where is he? Because remember, at this point, the man has gone back and Jesus and the disciples are gone. And the man's looking around and he's like, I, I don't know. How am I supposed to know where he went? I was off washing the mud off my eyes and gaining my sight while this man and his disciples left. Well, they don't know where Jesus went. They don't have a way to um, corroborate his story. So they decide we're going to take him to the Pharisees. And they, they take him as the man who had formerly been blind. Okay, I know this is a bit of a dated reference, but it kind of reminds me of like the man formerly known as Prince. So it's the man formerly known as Blind Beggar Man. They take him to the, the leaders, the Pharisees. It just so happens, of course, it's, I say that sarcastically because it was very deliberate. It's the Sabbath day. This is the holy day of the week. This is the day of rest. This is the day when your focus was supposed to be on worshiping God. And as we have seen already throughout the Gospel of John, the, the leaders over a long period of time had turned this into one of the most laborious days of the week, probably the most laborious day, not because people were supposed to go out and do all of this manual labor. It had become laborious because of all the rules and regulations and the minutia of detail of things that they were supposed to pay attention to as to what they could and could not do that day. So the Pharisees ask him how he had received his sight. And he says to them, he, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. It's pretty simple. He put mud on my eyes. I washed it off, and now I can see. And again, we see the response to Jesus' miracle is the same that it has been throughout all of the book of John. It divides people. Jesus is always going to be divisive. The goodness of God is always going to divide people. People do not always rally around goodness. And we can act so surprised when that doesn't happen in our time. Why are we surprised by that? Just because something is good, just because it's wonderful, just because it's life-giving, don't expect everybody's going to rally around it because people can care a whole lot more about what's important to them 
than about what is good and healthy and necessary and beneficial for others. Some of the Pharisees said, this man, and, and referring to Jesus, is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. Others say, but if he's not from God, that would place him in the category of being a sinner. And how is it that a sinner can do stuff like this? So there's this schism, there's this divisiveness that occurs. And I mean, the, the question is the, the a logical one. How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? I mean, with the, the cultural thinking that this man had been born blind, probably because of the sin of his parents or some future sin he would commit, but Jesus had corrected that erroneous um, thought, by the way, then how much more are people going to say, if somebody is a sinner, the last thing that they're going to be capable of doing is giving somebody else their sight. But other people totally ignored the healing that had occurred, and all they wanted to focus on was that this had happened on the Sabbath and that this had been, according to them, a breaking of the law because it was a type of work. Can we see here how mixed up the priorities of many of these Pharisees are? They are so focused on this one aspect of life that they miss this huge deal. They are so caught up in whether or not healing counted as work and therefore whether it was or wasn't according to the quote law that they totally have hard hearts about the fact that this man can't see this man's entire life had been re revolutionized it wasn't just like okay well he could see tomorrow he'll be back you know begging where he was again no the, the trajectory of this man's entire life had changed and all they can seem to care about is whether or not Jesus is a good man who has God's approval or not. Well, they can't work this out between them, so they don't come to agreement as a group. And they return to the blind man and they ask him again, well, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? This man may have been blind, but I could tell you he could see some things and he could read a room and he could see what was going on here. And he says, he doesn't say he's the Messiah or he's not. He makes a very simple statement that says he is a prophet. The Jews had a whole history of prophets none of which were perfect, some of which had some very tremendous flaws in, in their character. And he just kind of settles in on this and says, he, he's a prophet. I mean, what other answer could he have really given? Well, then what happens is the leaders think, okay, the whole issue here is that this man was in fact not born blind. He, th th there's something off here. Then they go on and they end up calling the parents of the man who had received his sight. 
and they interrogate the parents. And they say, you know, is this your son who you say was born blind? And then how does he now see? Well, I think this is one of the funniest things in, in all of Scripture. His parents say, we know that he is our son. So, yes, they, they claim him. They don't disown him. They also acknowledge the fact that he was born blind. And then they say, but how he now sees, we don't know anything about. And then they go on and they say, ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. Okay. They are afraid. They are afraid to say anything because they already knew that if anybody said that Jesus was the Christ, they were to be put out of the synagogue. This was a big deal. This wasn't a matter of, okay, well, no big deal. I'll just go to the synagogue down the street. No, 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 no. This, there was going to be one, and it was going to be a matter that if you were put out of the synagogue, it wasn't just a matter of, of like you lost your club membership or something. This was going to affect your entire life. And more importantly, it was going to affect whether or not you were able to complete the, the worship and um, all of the um, rules that God had said about how to come and seek him for forgiveness, for blessing, for approval. And so the parents just say, hey, you know what? He's old enough. <laughs> Ask him. We're out of this. All right. We've told you all we know. We're good. Let's get out of here now. And we don't want to fault the parents because what were they, what were they going to say? I mean, they, everything that they could bear witness to, they had. Yes, this is our son. Yes, he's born blind. Yes, he now sees. We don't know anything about who this Jesus is. So as we wrap up here today, one of the things that we, we want to look at in, in this is to see that, first of all, the goodness of God is always going to bring divisiveness. If you experience or someone else in your circle experiences a, a miracle from God, whether it's a physical healing, whether it's a financial provision, whether it is a mental health healing, whether it is um, uh, an opportunity and a, and a door that opens, whatever it is, if you experience or someone in your circle experiences something that is profoundly a gift and a blessing from God, do not expect everybody to rally around and to cheer. Some people will, everybody won't. And when that happens, don't let that throw you. Don't let that confuse you. Don't let that distract you or cause you to grow um, discouraged or quiet about what has happened to you. Just recognize some people are so concerned about the, the insignificant issues in life. They're so concerned really about themselves and about protecting themselves. They are threatened by your miracle, by your healing, by God's provision in your life. And then what we can see is when we are called to give an account, all we have to do is speak the truth. That's all this man did 
That's all his parents do. They just speak the truth. They don't assume a responsibility to explain God, to give an account, to have it all make sense. They just speak about what happened. Sometimes as Christians, we can feel the way that we somehow have to explain God. We have to be able to convince other people of of what God was doing and why or something. We don't have to do that. All we really have to do is show up and just bear witness to what God has done in our life. All right, my friend, we are going to wrap up here, and then we're going to pick up again next week as we continue with this story in the um, Gospel of John. This this story takes up the entire um, chapter 9 in John's Gospel, and it is a rich story on so many levels, and there's so many things that we can unpack here. Remember this. You have an impact that is immeasurable, eternal, and irreplaceable. And because of that, you want to commit to think deeply, live intentionally, and engage fully in God's grand story. Thank you for listening. For information on speaking engagements and other resources, visit the website at stephaniepresents.com. Remember, learn yourself, love God, and live connected.